This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Amazon Prime Video UK, the home of the US Open in the UK and of the Labour Cup as well. The US Open looming now just two weeks around the corner. I'm Catherine Whitaker. I'm joined in Telegraph Towers by Charlie Eccleshare of The Telegraph. Charlie, what are my chances of bumping into Boris Johnson around these parts? <laughs> Should I be prepared? Yeah, I think it's a fairly long shot, but, uh, you know, constant vigilance just in case he's around. And I've, I've just offered you tea, haven't I? So I've kind of done my Boris impression. You have, in fact. That's very, very good. Are you telling me he's not a nine to five chain to the desk <laughs> kind of a guy? Yeah, you always see him in here just, you know, writing away at his column. Um, yeah, he's an, a regular then post work down at the pub. Potentially has other fish to fry, does Boris Johnson. All of our non-British uh, listeners are scratching their heads and possibly tuning out. So we will get on to tennis very, very quickly. David Law, incidentally, is swanning round Croatia at the moment. Charlie, you've been following the tennis, bit of football as well. Your lo- latest piece was about Nigel Winterburn, playing football <laughs> with Nigel Winterburn. I hope this isn't too great a come down for you. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's sort of the, the, that piece about the delusions that us amateur footballers have. Um, and sports people of any kind, I think. It really, really struck a note, I think, for anybody, David Law, I hope you're listening, that's had one really great game of tennis or insert sport here and thought, yeah, I reckon I could take or You know, maybe not like Federer or Nadal, yeah. but, you know, someone ranked like, I don't know, like 200 in the world. Like, I fancy my chances. Yeah, no, absolutely. I realised that when I put it that football is in the headline. But yeah, I referenced a couple of other sports in there as well. Um, and our very own Simon Briggs, who went and faced some John Isner serves. And he said when he knew where the ball was going, he had half a chance. As soon as he didn't, he was completely toast. So did John tell him where it was going beforehand? I think early on to sort of maybe get his eye in. But I think Simon wanted to kind of test both of them. But we've all been there. I mean, it is amazing. The lies, the delusions we tell ourselves, you know, we'll come off a good game, be like, maybe, just maybe, if I really play it at my top level. And then you realise that you get battered by a guy who's nowhere near to being pro and uh, it just goes from there. Yeah, my brother sent me a text uh, the other week that simply said, uh, just so you know, I'm excellent at tennis now. (laughs) That's all it said. Apropos nothing. I assume he'd just come off the tennis court having had a great time. Um, But yes, on to uh, proper professional tennis where, It is Monday as we record now. We're about uh, probably only a couple of hours to a time difference. I won't do the exact time difference because this will be out-of-date news. But Andy Murray will be taken to the court in Cincinnati to take on Luca Pui in round one of uh, Cincinnati in just a matter of hours. Matches have already been played in Cincinnati. It kind of actually overlaps with Mm. Toronto and Montreal, doesn't it? Kyle Edmund has won his first match uh, since Wimbledon. But we will look back before we look forward because... Uh, we had two great weeks in Canada last week on the men's and the women's side. Stefano Tsitsipas, the breakthrough story uh, from Toronto, of course, in the end, losing to, to Rafael Nadal in the final. But, Charlie, I think we should probably start with the women's event and in particular the women's final in Montreal between Sloane Stephens and Simona Halep. Won by Halep in two hours and 41 minutes. It's It's the rivalry of the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I hope it will develop into you know, a proper rivalry that, you know, they play each other, they've already played each other in one Grand Slam final this year. 
But we haven't had a really good rivalry in the women's game for so long because Serena's been so dominant. So um, it definitely looks like it. Um, you know, they game style wise, there are some similarities, which you know typically we want the uh, the contrast. But there's enough there; it works somehow as a rivalry. Because Sloane Stevens, because she's almost more Halepy than Halep, mm-hmm. she forces Halep to be more aggressive, doesn't she? Particularly in that deciding set, Halep was she draws Halep out of her comfort zone. I think. Absolutely, because I was thinking during, as it looked like Stevens was going to win it when she took the second set and it looked like it had momentum, I was thinking, now the problem here, does this expose that maybe Hallett doesn't have that other level? But then she found it. You know, she, as you say, she was forced to go for a bit more. A little bit like we've spoken about before that Djokovic sometimes when he is playing somewhere where he knows all he really has to be as a backboard. He does that, but then he'll play in a Dow and have to do more, and it's so much more compelling to watch. Yeah, that th- that is exactly the comparison that came to me, actually. It reminded me of, of Djokovic against Nadal at Wimbledon and how uh, sort of embarrassed I felt watching it from a Djokovic perspective, from, from me from a Djokovic perspective, because I sometimes... I'm guilty of thinking of him as a, a slightly more monotonous, boring player, like we sometimes perhaps do with Halep. And Nadal brings something out of him that shows you there's so many more dimensions to him than that. And it's exactly the same with Simona Halep. But it, it, she's actually won their last five meetings, Halep, mm-hmm. over Stevens. But it, that's just, it, it, it feels like it could equally have been Stevens that's won their last five meetings. It's still a brilliant head to head and rivalry. Yeah, that does feel like a bit of a quirk. And you'd think by the law of averages that will change fairly soon possibly even at the US Open obviously Stevens reigning champion how great would that be if they do get to play there are they the two favourites for the US Open too early to say that no I think you can say that <laughs> I mean why not I, th- I think uh, just going on players who who look like they're in form and have a pretty clear idea of what they're doing I think you know there are obviously lots of other players in the mix but none that over the last couple of months you'd say have really um you know, made the same case that they have, I would say. It's an important week for a few players, isn't it, on both sides. But on the women's side, you know, some of these top names that have so far done absolutely nothing on the hard court so far, you know, people like Muguruza, Serena, obviously, Sharapova. I mean, she's pulled out of Cincinnati. She had brilliant win over Kazakina um, in Montreal and then lost out to Caroline Garcia. She's now pulled out of Cincinnati. I'm not quite sure of the reason for that. And it but somebody pointed out on Twitter that that barely caused sort of a ripple of reaction, her pulling out. She's she's kind of fading a little bit into into irrelevance in terms of the very top of the game. Yeah, and I think because she's had so many of these niggles that it, it we, we do almost expect it. I think I should say as well, having said no one's impressed over the last few months, obviously Angelique Kerber winning Wimbledon. But yet somehow I just can't see her winning back-to-back majors. She lost to Elise Cornet. Mm. Um, in Montreal and with all due respect to Cornet who's been playing in qualifying in Cincinnati mm. that's that's a, a, an uncharacteristic loss for Kerber and almost <laughs> there's a part of me that thinks that Kerber maybe doesn't want to win back-to-back <laughs> majors you know she it's just, Wimbledon's enough let me enjoy that for a while I don't want to fall into the areas of old look I'm sure if somebody handed her the US Open trophy she's not going to throw it back in their face but you know what I mean? Yeah, I think she lacks something we were talking about at Wimbledon, that kind of compulsive greed that you see some players have. You know, like Serena Williams? She wins one, right, where's my next one coming from? I don't know if Kerber is, has that same insatiable appetite for Grand Slams that someone like Serena does. You could say the same about Halep, though. Looking at her at Wimbledon, where she was like, she kind of just said, mm, this is all a bit too soon, I want some more time to enjoy my French Open. I guess the... The circumstances are specific there because it was so long in coming. It was so long awaited. It was such an incredible moment. But still, the, the, she wasn't immediately thinking, Where, how can I taste this again? Yeah, I think that for me, that was more of an emotional come down. That was just a, like, oh, my God, I am so exhausted after winning the French Cup. You know, everything that went with that. I guess it, we'll have to see longer term if she has the same sort of Kerber maybe medium term come down that Kerber suffered I mean I hope for Hallett because I'm a huge fan of hers and I love the way she plays and what she does that she has more of an Andy Murray trajectory and that you know she gets the one or you know Andre Agassi Van Lendel that you know get one and then just sort of learns how to cope a little bit better in those situations I'd be very surprised if this is if that was her only one put it that way same sports psychologist as Andy Murray yeah absolutely yeah and uh, yeah it's had a, a similar effect who else made an impression on you in Montreal? Joe Conter, another sort of week which promised much and didn't 
under deliver it was probably a about par, would you say, for, for Joe Contra on Hardcourt? She got a, a really great win over Yelena Ostapenko, particularly, particularly the nature of that win, when, winning, losing a really close uh, first set and coming back to win in three. Uh, she then beat Victoria Azarenka in a, a rain-delayed match over two days. And again, I was impressed with, I think she came back with a set and three-love lead the next day, knowing that if she uh, concluded that, that match successfully, she'd have to play again. I was impressed with the sort of ruthlessness with which she finished that match. But then lost out quite stutteringly I think to Alina Svitolina yeah it's amazing isn't it by the way just how long ago that feels because so much happens honestly that Kondrostopenko match now it was like a lifetime ago but I remember thinking in the depths of my memory whilst watching that that uh how impressed I was because that is the kind of match she's been losing all year you know she those tight three setters against good players and I thought as soon as she lost that first set uh, you know it's like that's it game over we know what happens here. even when she made it one set all you know it was like uh, yeah we've kind of seen this as well she'll get close but she will lose so I think for her that might be quite a significant win I hope it will be anyway and then Azarenka was uh, was tricky because it was spread over the two days the problem contact she keeps seeming to get these horrible draws like every match it's being unseeded isn't it well, the, yeah, the depth yeah. is so yeah. much that it's such a cost for her being unseeded yeah and I mean she's up now again I think she's in the top 40 again rankings as of today so it feels like a sort of steady climb back but I, I just wonder with her what her level is you know whether she did overperform when she got to the top 10 is she now kind of regressing to that mean a little bit and but where that mean will end up is that kind of 30 in the world is it 25 I, I think it's a bit better than where she is now players do get figured out don't they and she she's reluctant she doesn't want a plan b does she she says i've got i've got this game i'm i'm you know it, it might not be a world number one or grand slam winning game but i'm determined to max out this game but if if this game isn't doing it for me then it would be she uses sort of expressions like not being true to myself to 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 play a different way but it, if that game is not working or it's been sort of unlocked by somebody it can be quite ugly at times can't it yeah, definitely. And I think that's why she's lost to so many of the top players. It, it does slightly betray that because it's it's one thing overwhelming and overpowering players who are worse than you. But when you're at around the same level, you do have to try different things. You know, there'll be an ebb and flow to the match and just blindly continuing to do the same thing is is limited and you, and you will get found out. And she, she kind of has done, yeah. Nothing to defend in New York, though, could be crucial. It, I mean, all of this... So, I mean, I kind of agree with you about... Halep and Stevens, but I also think I can legitimately see myself sitting here in a week's time, throwing that out of the window, having seen whatever we're going to end up seeing in Cincinnati and uh, deciding that somebody completely random is is now, well, not random, but I don't know, deciding that Daria Kazakina, who won, what, three games or something against Sharapova, is is suddenly the favourite for the US Open. I can see it all changing in a week. Yeah, well, two things there. One, there's the obvious recency bias that we're all (laughs) guilty of wanting to trap. But also, those two are players who they can just have horrible days. You know, they could both lose in the first round, you know, not to completely cover myself against that first prediction, but... They really could. I mean, Stevens was first round out at Wimbledon. Uh, Halep in the first round at French Open lost the first set comfortably. And you're thinking, wow, she's going out here. So they do kind of veer from the sublime to the ridiculous, both of them. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, well, we will look ahead to, to Cincinnati uh, a little bit. We've got the draws in front of us here. It looks like Halep is going to play, mm. unlike Nadal, who uh, announced today that he's uh, he's pulled out because personal rest, I think, is the expression being put on that, which is completely fair enough. And he obviously feels that he's got the preparation and matches that he needs. Halep, though, we've seen pictures of her on a private jet, uh, <laughs> and she seems, she seems, she seems, uh, whether, she, whether she will whether it's a question of uh, commitment filling, which I, is something that, uh, I mean, it happens. We saw it with Kvitova, I think, in, in Eastbourne. She mm. she won in Birmingham. She showed up. She showed up that morning, <laughs> the yeah. morning of her match in Birmingham. And uh, I, I did a pre-tournament interview with her, and there was a look in her eye that said, it's nice to be here. I love this tournament. I didn't want to let them down, but I'm half in Wimbledon in my head. So, there could be that, but I don't know if Halep can turn it on and off like that. Yeah, and Kvitova then withdrew from a <laughs> match a couple of days later, didn't she? Uh, I would say to anyone who's has this dilemma, think about Andy Murray two years ago. He played Cincinnati after the Olympic gold. He was exhausted. It was such an error and really cost him that year's US Open. And because I'm quite sad, I think about that a lot. But <laughs> I would... 
if I were Darren Cahill, I would just say I would just be saying that to Mona Halleck. Be selfish, pull out. Who cares about Cincinnati? Was that the Nishikori yeah. loss? Yeah, yeah, that exhausting yeah. match against Nishikori. Yeah, and he was just frazzled, and he so needed a break. And look. Halep hasn't just won Olympic gold, but that was an exhausting final against Stevens, played in 30-degree heat. Take the week off. Like, just think about the majors. Do what Nadal's doing. Was that, that was when uh, Murray had world number one in the back of his mind, though, wasn't it? And, of course, he didn't get ranking points for that Olympic, yeah. for that Olympic victory. That's interesting, isn't it? But because he ended up not getting any ranking points that, that week. So, you know, I mean, what, what could have been... Yeah, anyway, a lot has happened in the life of Andy Murray in the last couple of years, but you're absolutely right. Maybe this will all be out of date and she will have pulled out, but I don't know. She was on that private jet. It's a good way to travel anyway. She hasn't expended any energy in, in, the, uh, in the travel department. Yeah, I mean, any excuse to go on a private jet, I mean, I, I would do that. And, and that was exactly the method uh, of Andy Murray that time, just to continue that parallel. Yeah, and uh, as somebody who has flown from Montreal to Cincinnati by non-private means, by very much um, economy, public means, I can confirm it, it's it's rubbish. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I would have taken any uh, private jet options made available to me. Uh, I don't know where Rafael Nadal's going, but I'm sure it's private. Would he go back to Spain? I don't know, surely no. He'll go to New York, maybe, I don't know. know. Yeah, I... Depends how quickly the private jet can get him to wherever he needs to be, I imagine. Pretty quickly, yeah. I'd imagine. Pretty quickly. <laughs> Would he, yeah, that's an interesting question. So he uh, won the final uh, in Toronto yesterday, 6-2-7-6 against Stefano Sitsipas. He withdrew this morning from Cincinnati. So US Open starts two weeks today. Yeah, we'll see. What, what will he do? Just get on a yacht in Mallorca? It's like a sort of bigger version of that dilemma you face after finishing work and you're meeting someone a couple of hours later do you go home first how do you kill the time you know i can really empathize with, with what rafa's going through right now uh, i imagine he uh, he probably would go home because you know with two weeks but then i guess with jet lag and things like that we don't know and momentum's a big thing as well and he's a guy i mean uh, he's won the tournament which is obviously ideal but Rafa usually likes to have you know a lot of matches he's this is just one warm-up tournament for him which which, you know, is is on the light side for, for Rafael Nadal. Um, he was very, very good all week, Nadal. I, yeah, I thought his performance to, to beat Chilic, that was it. Chilic played, I mean, he hit an absolute purple patch for about a set and a half there. And, and it was, as we've said so many times, the the animalistic competitive instincts that, of Nadal that, that kept him in there. And and he was better than Sitsipas yesterday. An incredible fight back from Sitsipas in the second set. It was a set and a breakdown. You know, it was was it Sitsipas's birthday yesterday? Day of the final, his 20th birthday. No longer a teenager. Um, but yeah, I, it, Nadal was brilliant. Plus Achange probably... Um, nailed himself on as, as the favourite to defend his US t- Open title. But the talking point really is, is Stefano Sitsipas, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, what a week. It, it was one of those... I mean, I've, I've seen, obviously, Sitsipas play a few times, but never really emotionally invested in his matches. And then I sat there watching him against Djokovic, and I just, like, I felt like I was falling in love with the guy. I mean, just so magnetic, the way he plays, everything about him. He When he's not hitting shots he almost seems like he's moving in slow motion as if being framed for like an arty film about this kind of (laughs) greek renaissance man he does do photography so maybe he's got that in the back of his mind every moment is a picture yeah subconsciously yeah framing the shots but uh yeah and just the way he plays you know he's and and it does it, it, it fills me with confidence that maybe the end of the big four won't be kind of the end of the world as we know it because i think the worry was that there's no doubt there's a lot of talent coming through, but it's whether those players will have the variety and the texture and, and everything that comes with those big four players. Texture's his middle name, isn't it? Oh. it? And he takes a real pride in it as well. He quite often um, refers to the, particularly after the, the Djokovic win, that was something that he refers to. And, and, and the Zverev win as well, which we will definitely mm. come on to in more detail. He, he confirmed uh, Zverev's view that it wasn't the highest quality of match, but he said it was, it was that, I don't think he used the word texture, um, but I'm sure he wish well, after he's listened to this pos- podcast he'll have wished he did yeah it was that variety the element of surprise that he thought won it for him in the end yeah he just has so many options to hurt you with like you know he, he's got a big game but he's also got so much 
variety and he can throw in drop shots he, his smashes are amazing I love the way he hits those smashes shares a birthday with Pete Sampras and it's kind of you know the, the slam dunk that Pete invented and it was it was just so refreshing and the way he carried himself he's clearly thoughtful and articulate I mean he just feels like a superstar in the making right there he's a bit of an outsider isn't he I get the impression that he's maybe not in with the crew, not in with the next-gen crew, and isn't remotely bothered by that. I don't... He's not lads, 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 is he? I can't imagine, you know, fitting in with the macho um, tennis locker room vibe. Um, but And again, he sort of takes a bit of a pride in, in that. He did an interview, didn't he, where he talked about how he took himself on yeah. hol- off on holiday alone um, after Wimbledon, and he's really into his photography. And I get the impression probably a lot of guys on tour think he's arty-farty and pretentious and, you know, maybe even cocky. It doesn't come across that way to me at all, but I can... I can imagine as a as a young guy in a very lads, lads, lads world, he probably is a bit of a, a renegade outsider. And, and yeah, I mean, that's uh, that we don't think a lot about sort of the, the social, personal development aspects of being a young guy on tour. And I'm not suggesting there's sort of, I mean, all of those young guys seem really nice. Denis Shapovalov, but, you know, he's got his little crew with Felix Auger-Lassim, hasn't there? There's definitely, you know, there's crews. And I get the impression he probably, you know, sits and eats his lunch alone some of the time yeah again considering this like idea of his life as a film if it was like an american high school he wouldn't be in with the jocks he'd be off in the dark room developing his own photography and things like that because he's different and interesting and he'd read poetry and this sort of thing you know i mean i'm completely imagining this this life of his but But he would also happen to be the quarterback on the football team (laughs) exactly yeah yeah i mean like one of those like nauseating guys who's just really good at take his glasses off and be really handsome (laughs) you know all of that get his braces off and oh right yeah yeah, he's a stud yeah (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, we imagine this whole world. But um, yeah, I mean, he yeah he he kind of acknowledged that, didn't he? That he he's more friendly with kind of guys who are a bit further on because he probably is quite mature for his age. You know, he he certainly seems to be. And and yeah, as you say, to have the the maturity to take himself off for a week on his own. And he said, you know, it was like a journey of self discovery. He he learned a lot about himself. He's not just a, a kind of tennis robot. Introverts are going to take over the world. Yeah, the sporting world. Mm, maybe (laughs) maybe or maybe not Um, so yeah I mean he had four top ten victories in a row uh, for not just the first time in in his career I think he's the youngest guy ever to do that Um, started with Novak Djokovic uh, ended with Kevin Anderson uh, almost uh, in fact no it didn't start with Djokovic did it it started with Dominic Thiem in the first round then Djokovic then Zverev and then uh, Kevin Anderson in the semi-finals before coming up just short against Nadal in in a match that was better than the six two seven six scoreline suggests. It deserved a third set. I mean, Nadal was was the deserving victor, but oh, I wish it had gone to a third set. But uh, the Zverev match is the sticking point. One again, he was a set and a breakdown, wasn't he? He looked down and out. That seems to be his specialty, which is very much against type isn't it that's usually where the the young guys are lacking a bit that sort of that mental fortitude that um you know that hardened competitive i don't know that nadal that nadalness mm. you know that 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 yeah can only come with with being hardened and developing years and years of self belief um <laughs> The comments from Sasha Zverev <laughs> afterwards were were interesting. They were head turning. I will read them out to you, lest I misquote mm. uh, the uh, exactly what he has to say. He says uh, he was asked, uh, "Sitsipas has been on quite a hot streak. What do you think he does so well?" And uh, young Sasha Zverev replied, "As I said, I don't think today he played that well. I think the match was absolutely pathetic on all levels. I mean, I'm very honest with you guys. I always say when the opponent plays better, I'm probably one of the most honest guys on tour. Today was a pathetic match. I don't even think he played well." Sitsipas's response was, um, "I'm working with a sports psychologist that's really good, and he told me something, and I remember it since like four or five years that a good player can be." seen in his bad day and I completely agree with that that a good player can be seen 
I think he means on his bad day. Sorry, I mean, Stefanos, your, your English is great, but just for the sake of, of, of the quote, can be seen on his bad day, and I completely agree with that. Uh, the level of tennis today, in my opinion, was not the highest. It was all right. People seemed to love it, love the show and everything. So I would say I played more clever this kind. I kind of, this time, I kind of fooled him when I was on the court and I did some of the things that he didn't expect me to do. And I changed my plan since last week. And as I said, I got lots of experience last week and managed to pull it out today in the match, which is really, really interesting and what we were referencing about the, the texture of his work, which is um, going to be my new Stefano sits a pass related phrase. Um, you, we can't doubt the honesty of Sasha Zverev and uh, it divided opinion um, on all fronts. Obviously, journalists love it. I mean, it's something to write about, isn't it? But the reason that guys aren't necessarily as as honest as we would all like them to be is because it's honesty at their own expense you know we're all delighted that he was honest but it doesn't necessarily for everyone reflect particularly well on him he looks like a sore loser honest or not he looks like a sore loser um i I fall boringly i fall somewhere in the middle on this charlie i think fronting up and saying that wasn't the highest quality match is absolutely fine i think probably using inflammatory words like pathetic um, when talking about both yourself and your opponent is probably not a good idea. I think if he'd come in and said, look, I think the guy's great. I don't think he played his, his best match today. He didn't need to to beat me. It wasn't the highest quality match. But um, you, that's tennis. You've just got to be better than than, than the other guy on, on the, the guy on the other side of the net. Um, then that would have been fine. But it also would have been significantly less interesting. I think it was the, I think it was the word pathetic. Mm. <laughs> I think that it's just so damning, isn't it? I think that's um, what... Well, I was going to say riled, but it was only us lot that were riled. I mean, Sitsabas didn't seem to mind much at all, did he? It, it re- brought to mind the um, Wozniacki comments after Makarova beat her at Wimbledon, which David and I talked about uh, on a podcast during the tournament, where she said, like, yeah, she'll... Wozniak said, yeah, she'll lose in the next round. Like She, she really wasn't that great. And it was similarly kind of sour grapes. I think, um, yeah, f- from a journalist's point of view, you hear something like that and it's just brilliant. Ding, ding, ding. That's my headline. This is a great story. He doesn't come across well, clearly. Um, so I guess it's... In general? No. Uh, well, mm, that's a bigger question. I think he, he does have that prickliness to him. Um, and we've spoken about it. He does... He, he thinks... The way he talks suggests he thinks that journalists should be at every tournament throughout the year and should ne- he should never have to deal with the same questions. So he, he does have a bit of a prejudice to him. In this case, he certainly didn't come across well. But I guess it depends on your point of view. If you're worried about the reputation of Sasha Zverev, you know, if I were his parent or someone, I might say to him, not sure that was the most gracious way <laughs> of dealing with it. Since I care more about entertainment and <laughs> stories I just I really enjoyed it, and and, I, and it is refreshing to have someone be that honest. If he just come in and spouted platitudes, it wouldn't have been nearly as interesting. He has the same agent, Charlie, as Andy Murray had when he was a teenager and young adult. When Andy Murray was um, hadn't learned how to be himself with the press, and perhaps was chippier than I mean, look, he still has his chippy moments. Don't get me wrong, and I'm not suggesting, uh, you know, he was just maybe being a bit too much his teenage young adult self than perhaps he was than perhaps it was prudent to be at the time but there are similarities there Mm. aren't there yeah because murray was and remains very much someone who you know doesn't suffer fools gladly um you know he will give a question short shrift if he thinks he merits it he will answer things truthfully and zverev said you know continuation of that quote he said look you know you guys know i'm always really honest with you and also just thinking about the future of the game and building the game, we do want to have people with as much points of differentiation as possible. And so if Zverev were to be the kind of punchier one, the one who has a bit of an edge to him, then that makes him far more interesting than if he's just, you know, bland and polite. And it did seem like between the two of them, there was just a bit of, you know, it wasn't the warmest handshake at the end, just a little bit of needle. And and maybe Sasha doesn't like the fact that Sitsipas has come along and you've got... He's got the same hair. He's got the same hair. He's got me saying that uh, Sitsipas is going to win uh, a major first. You know, I imagine that really riled Sasha Zverev. Was it this week that, that cemented that view for you? Would, you? would you have said that a week ago? It was this week, yeah. And, you know, 
full disclosure, recency bias at work again. But, you know, you just get those feelings. And, and I think as well, because then a lot of people said to me things like, you know, Zverev's far closer. He's been far more consistent. But that wasn't really my point. It was more, I, th- I think, Sitsipas is more likely to just have a run where he's unbeatable and isn't really phased by it. Because with each of those top four, with each of those top ten wins, you know, you thought, right, well, he's done one, he won't do another one. But he just kept on doing it. He didn't seem, it didn't matter. You know, so often we see that drop after you've had a really big win. And he didn't do that. And he just seemed very at ease with it, in a groove. And I just think... it. There's an effortlessness to him that Zverev doesn't have. Zverev seems to have to work a little bit harder. And, and yeah, I, I just felt like he'll be a Sitzbass could be that bolter who comes through, and Zverev might be more of the Agassi who has all the hype, but it just takes a little bit longer. Did he make Zverev look a little one dimensional? Sub question Is Zverev a little one dimensional? Well, yes, I would say to an extent. He certainly. The volleying thing is an issue with Zverev. I mean, and given his brother is Misha Zverev and one of the best volleys on the tour, I st- that still boggles my mind how <laughs> Misha never trained him to be a better volleyer. And, and actually, yeah, with the you know the one-dimensional point, the parallel with Conta. I mean, both of them when they get to the net, you're almost wincing. He, he so Zverev could definitely benefit with Sitsipas's ability to to spice things up come in or even yesterday against Nadal I thought it was interesting that Sitsipas actually started he was going to the net quite often he seemed to think that you know I can't beat Nadal from the baseline but he then had the wherewithal to readjust and actually say yeah I can win a few of these rallies and and he you know he had that clear thinking sometimes Zverev doesn't seem to have that much clarity of thought I mean we've seen him lose last sets twice at Grand Slams this year six love uh, and the other Grand Slam, he got hammered by Dominic Team, and I know injury and fitness was an issue there. But you know, he can just sort of switch off and just look completely frazzled. Yeah, it's that. It's the it's the tennis. It's the computer chip, isn't it? That I've questioned whether Grigor Dimitrov has, or maybe that's yeah. the thing that's missing. It's that. It's that doing things on digital rather than on analog. You know, I feel like Dimitrov is having to to learn that decision-making in an analogue way, whereas there are the likes of Sitsipas that just seem to have this this inbuilt in- instinct for, for what to do with a tennis ball. I think Andy Murray has it. It often manifests itself in sort of anticipation, doesn't it? Being able to... you the, Those types of players often get aced less than, than others just because they, they get a feel for for where the ball is going, for being able to pick the direction of a tennis ball. On the subject of Dimitrov, he's in our, our list uh, of sort of any other business um, from Toronto because this is, I mean, this is a big period of time for, for Grigor Dimitrov, kind of in two different ways. Number one, because like l- last year's US Open, he went into it probably as much, much expectation as he ever has in a slam because he'd won his first Masters in Cincinnati and he ended up losing, he lost to Rublev, didn't he, um, in the second round, I think. So, that yeah, it's kind of a huge time of year for him because he's defending the Cincinnati win, but also he's kind of got nothing to defend on the Grand Slam stage. So, I mean, I don't know where that leads to. He got, he got a... A victory in the third set tiebreak um, over TFO and over Vadasco last week, which felt big because it's that grittiness that's sometimes um, been missing from from him. But then he lost really heavily to Kevin Anderson. So I don't know where... We, I don't think anyone's picking him to defend his Cincinnati title, put it that way. No, I think you'd be crazy to do that. He he actually looked like he was suffering from the yips a bit when he was serving. I mean, he was like double faulting horrendously. At- He's been doing that all year, yeah. to be fair, on and off. Yeah, yeah, and he did it against Tiafo as well in the match that he actually ended up winning. And they were. It was interesting hearing Greg Rosetsky and Annabelle Croft talking about this, and Rosetsky saying, "Right, he should be out on the practice court just practicing serve after serve after serve." And Annabelle Croft said it, it looked more of a mental thing. It needs to be, you know, session after session with a sports psychologist because it doesn't look like everything's right in his head. Has anyone ever asked Grigor Dimitrov if he has a sports psychologist? That's a good question. That's a good question. I'm not aware. If, if I were a sports psychologist, I'd be getting his number from somewhere or getting his agent's number and like offering my services because surely he's the prime candidate. He seems quite switched on. I'd be surprised <laughs> if he wasn't you know, pursuing every single avenue uh, for success, especially given all the hype that he had uh, when he came through. It, he does just seem to lack that killer instinct. I just, I can't believe he'll ever, his career will ever 
move from the kind of pattern that it's in now. Like, you know, he will win or he will win tournaments. He'll win big tournaments. But I can't see him winning a Grand Slam. Oh, that's sad. (laughs) Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Stan Wawrinka um, uh, might sound like a small fry, but it felt like a big week for him. First back-to-back victories for him since February. Uh, he beat Kyrgios in the grudge match that wasn't really a grudge match because Kyrgios seems to be operating with only one hip at the moment. Um, and he beat Fuchsovic as well, who had a good, he's had good patches of the season but isn't in one at the moment. And then he pushed Nadal um, in two sets. The promising signs for Stan, I, again, I'm not sure anyone's going to go, oh, right, well, he's going to win slams again. But... Um, I was there as you were, I think, Charlie, when Andy Murray played Stan Wawrinka in Eastbourne in that first round match. And my impression that day, uh, that ended up being Murray's first victory. I, th- I was struck that day by how little Murray was celebrating, given, you know, how big a deal it was for him to be winning a tennis match. And I thought it was out of respect and a slight element of pity for Wawrinka from a guy that's been through something similar to him because I felt like he was looking up the end of the court and going, you are so much more crook than me. Yeah. Um, and it would feel rude to 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 celebrate this victory because I feel for you too much. And yeah, he was uh, much like Murray in Washington. He was such a different guy in in Toronto last week that whether he goes on to to, to be the, the athlete that he once was kind of felt relevant for a couple of moments last week because yeah he he captured something that we haven't seen for a while I think the lesson to learn from Vavrinka his his year so far and kind of applying that to Andy Murray and it's not the most sexy narrative but it is that these comebacks are very up and down and you know we each week with Vavrinka with Murray it's either he could get back to his best or it's he's never going to play again. You know, it's kind of neither one thing nor the other. The reality is the the comeback isn't going to just go straight upwards on a graph. It's going to be very juddery and he'll have ups and he'll have downs. And Stan may have a terrible US Open from here. Murray may have a good one. Um, I think that's the, that, that's the difficulty. We've become so used with guys like Vavrinka and Murray that they are good pretty much every week. And I think the reality, certainly for about the first year of the comeback, 
it's just going to be that it isn't like that. You you are going to have days where when you've had that serious injury where you just you look terrible, your movement's bad, like Favrinka had. And, and, it, and it was painful to watch, wasn't it, that Murray match? Just as Murray was against Edmund a couple of days later in Eastbourne. But then Murray in Washington, you know, suddenly looks mobile again. And so I think... Um, I think with Stan, you almost want to give them like a year, and, and that feels like an age, but I think Stan's shown that it, it does take around that time. And to be fair, even Djokovic's evidence of that, yeah. yes, he's got back to, to Grand Slam winning ways, but he's, that doesn't, you know, as evidenced last week, mean he's back to that relentless, being unbeatable, dialed in every single week ways. I mean, again, it puts into sharp focus just how extraordinary that was, that no matter what tournament he rocked up at, you felt like there was just close to 0% chance of anybody beating him. Yeah, just just because you've just because he's won a Grand Slam doesn't necessarily mean everyone's picking him to win the next one, which for a period of a couple of years was absolutely the case. So, yeah, lessons to be learned. <laughs> um, Felix auger Lassim is our just our last bit of business uh, to mop up from Toronto. He beat Luca Puy uh, in straight sets before losing out to next-genner Daniil Medvedev. Um, and he is, I think he's just turned 18, has he? Mm. Uh, he turned 18 during the week. But yes, he did, yes. Because he shares a birthday with Roger Federer. Uh, that's one of the little factoids that we need to know about him. Is this just going to be a necessary component to being successful, sharing your birthday with a previously successful tennis player yeah, or a currently successful tennis player in the case of Roger Federer? Um, Luca Pui is your, if you're a young guy or any kind of guy looking to get a victory over a really good name, (laughs) (laughs) but he would be my pick. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's kind of like Newcastle in the FA Cup or the League Cup, you know, who don't take the Cup very seriously. You want an upset, that's who you want to be playing. He's your guy because it looks really good and Auger Lessine played really, really well, but... A lot of players can, on certain days, look really, really good against Luca Pui. <laughs> He's very charitable in that way. But just on Algeria Lassim, I interviewed him last year, and I was so impressed with... Uh, he reminded me of Shapovalov, who I'd interviewed a year earlier, and they would have been at basically the same age, because Shapovalov's a year older. And both of them, just so mature, so grounded, just seemed... They just seemed to have something about them. And uh, and I spoke to Brad Gilbert about Algeria Lassim, and he is really impressed I mean he thinks he is you know sky's the limit for him the movement is the thing that has impressed Brad the most and and that is the thing that defines the best players they're all such good movers and Alger Alessim has that he's big as well he's got a big game he feels like of the next next gen he's going to be the one to watch and they've already got this sort of bromance going on that everyone's really invested in is that what tennis has been missing like a really beautiful bromance yeah, it's sweet, the two of them. They, they both um, they support you know, rival ice hockey teams and kind of bait each other about that. Yeah, but I mean, just, you know, with all of this, you want to have those personalities, those dynamics, maybe the odd rivalry, maybe the odd bromance, you know, just to, to keep it interesting. Interestingly, just just quickly on the subject of, of, of rivalries, bromance, or definitely not of bromance, but the pictures of Tsitsipas and Zverev, sort of at the net, the, 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 the pictures which featured both of them, they looked to me like they were already sort of um, old school, old, old um, um, souvenir posters <laughs> that you might see in the corridors of a yeah, of yeah. a tennis tournament. You know, oh, twenty five years ago, back in those halcyon days yeah, of yeah. of Sitsipas, it had that sort of. You could almost see that. What's the the name of that? effect you can put on your camera but yes it all it looked like it should already be in sepia yeah absolutely and i thought that as well with algeria seam and uh shapovalov playing doubles together and that would be a you know a trivia question in years to come when they're both hoovering up grand slams and here they were playing against Djokovic and anderson and and did you know that anderson reached the wimbledon final that year <laughs> you know that kind of thing yeah he's a tiebreaker quiz question <laughs> in the making that's uh yeah, that is a direct quote from the thick of it anyway um <laughs> Uh, Cincinnati will feature the shot clock, as did Toronto. Uh, in in not too many words, Charlie, are you a fan? I am, and I and I do think it was interesting yesterday. Uh, and I picked up on this, and then Mark Petchy said it. Uh, you know, just to get out there, I wasn't just stealing what he said, but that Nadal. I thought Nadal looked a bit frazzled in that last game where he served for the match um, and got broken because, and that is when he tends to take an age between points, isn't it? And he was forced into. Um, into actually playing by the rules, and, and he just he just looked a bit hurried and a bit anxious. Um, but but I was thinking about this because it's my knee jerk reaction 
was kind of at first like am i bothered do i care about them taking longer but then i realized i actually kind of do because i quite often absentmindedly find myself picking up my phone or whatever it is and and that is a reflection on my terrible attention span but well and the world well, so yeah, yeah exactly. you're not unusual so I, I do think it is good just to speed it up. And, and it's all for such useless, it's all neurotic things, isn't it? It's not like they're actually helping. It's just their little ticks and fiddling with their hair and their shorts. It's mostly just throwing sweaty towels at, yeah. at young kids. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we'll have it in Cincinnati. Nadal, incidentally, uh, seems to be a fan. He's, 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 he, he praised the umpire's handling of it. I think he, if not appreciates the the time limit element of it he appreciates he appreciates at least the consistency of the application of a rule which i think is what frustrates most people um in terms of cincinnati before getting on to just a couple of quick bits of admin based tennis news i know that sounds <laughs> really really sexy for listeners and a sexy incentive for you to keep listening admin based tennis news coming up um in terms of the draw i'm not going to ask you to to make big time predictions here but uh just quickly looking at the women's draw we finally finally have the dim faint prospect of murray federer in round three of cincinnati i will simply ask you charlie are we going to see murray federer in round three of cincinnati they're down there in the bottom of the draw incidentally federer loves cincinnati doesn't he always if he's picking one or the other he always chooses cincinnati Mm. yeah maybe it's because of the theme park that andy murray went to now then, I'm glad, I'm very glad this has come up because if anybody hasn't been following Andy Murray's Instagram of late, I very much suggest you drop everything you're doing and get on board with Andy Murray's Instagram because it has been, I mean, it is, it is a, like a TV channel in itself. It is pure entertainment. Um, and not least because I think it was actually Nick Kyrgios that posted the yeah. video of himself and Andy Murray on a roller coaster in Kings Island, which is the theme park situated. I mean, it's practically on the site of um, the Cincinnati Tennis Tournament. And uh, it, it, it pretty much is within the grounds of the Great Wolf Lodge, which is the hotel that I stayed at the one time that I covered Cincinnati, which is a, I mean, it's basically a large kids playground. Um, which they've turned into a, 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 a hotel. There's a water park in there. There are treasure hunts which take, which take place any time from about 7am in the corridors. There's story time in the lobby, uh, morning and evening. And uh, there are uh, wolf-themed bunk beds for you to sleep in, um, should you wish. I, I elected not to, um, but they were, they were available there. Um, and anyway, uh, it is the best theme park I've ever been to. Uh, I had the best day of my life at that theme park. I can't wait to um, ask Andy Murray if he also rode on The Beast, which is the uh, longest, I think, and oldest wooden roller coaster in the world. And it gave me whiplash and a migraine for two days, which um, my mother told me was evidence I'm probably too old to spend a whole day at a theme park. But anyway... Um, it is uh, it signs that Andy Murray is enjoying life back on the tennis door. Yeah, I will just on. I mean, America does theme parks just on a different scale, doesn't it? I remember going to a few as a kid and just being like, right, this is living. You know, having been to like Thought Park and things like that. Thought, I mean, thought they would laugh in the face of Thought Park. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's like a sort of futures event compared to a Grand Slam, but um, to answer your initial question about Murray, whether Murray will play Federer. I, going with my theory of up and down, I think Murray's going to have a less good week this week, so won't get that far. He plays Luca Pui, the, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> but uh, maybe maybe Pui will be slightly less uh, less generous today. So I think we won't see that Murray Federer, which is a shame. It's been three years since they played each other. Yeah, I mean, and again, to pick up on something that I think you and I discussed at Wimbledon, that is as much as tennis, men's tennis is is thrilling in many, many ways. What I feel is missing is the match, you know, and the the Nadal Djokovic match only serves to emphasise this. That's what's missing: Federer and Nadal playing one another, uh, Federer and Murray Parrot playing one another, Djokovic Federer playing one another, and maybe I'm I'm clinging to a bygone era, but you know, while they're still at the top of the game and still in the same draw together I will always I will always want to see that um, Del Potro's in the draw despite pulling out uh, of last week with a wrist injury I, everybody shuddered when they saw the word wrist injury next to Del Potro so um, all eyes on him uh, to see uh, whether he's okay we certainly hope he is okay it feels like a big week uh, to me Charlie on the women's side for Wozniacki and uh, 
big time for Garbini Muguruza, who's the defending champion in Cincinnati and has done nothing for quite some time now. Yeah, I mean, her and Dimitrov reigning champions, aren't they? And both you know, desperately need need a result. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at Muguruza's results and French Open semi-final aside, I think she won in Monterey. It's been a pretty ropey year. I think she's 11th in the race. Um which kind of gives you a bit of an indication. She she struggled to get it together, and we know you know this is this is nothing new. Um, she needs some form before the U.S. Open. That said, she is someone who flick of a switch can go into a, you know the Stan Wawrinka equivalent can go into a tournament with no form and suddenly be playing lights out world class tennis. Yeah, likewise Petra Kvitova. I feel like she it would be useful for her to string something together. But then I but then I look at her form over the year, and she's played probably some of the like best tennis but she's played some of the worst tennis at Grand Slam time so maybe how she performs this week and last week will end up having no bearing at all on how she plays in New York so uh, yeah we'll see but Madison Keys as well another name that's jumping out at me is somebody that that needs to, to have a good week last time I saw her play was that completely b- bizarre uh, loss to Evgenia Radina mm. Um, at Wimbledon so in the third round of Wimbledon when when the draw was completely opening up for her and we were having visions of her standing with the Venus Rosewater dish so she admitted didn't she saying her mind wander (laughs) and um, yeah which isn't the best sign for (laughs) given how we're always told it's uh, you know stay in the moment one one point after another I haven't even mentioned Serena Charlie yeah how have I not mentioned Serena yeah talk about big week for Serena huge week it looked um you know, when she, she entered a bunch of tournaments, a bunch of pre-US Open tournaments, we were thinking we're actually going to get to see, you know, quite a lot of Serena. But um hasn't worked out that way. You know, she uh, she spoke openly about how she's she's really struggled, um, you know, postpartum depression. Um, and it will be interesting to see how, how she gets on. Again, in the kind of theory of players coming back, having up and down periods, I think we're seeing that with her a little bit from... The high of reaching that Wimbledon final to then a difficult few weeks here. Uh, just so many unknowns still about her. You know, Joe Conta, I mean, that match was so strange. That felt like, you know, an anomaly. That's surely not going to happen again to that extent. But there were signs at Wimbledon as well that I didn't think her movement was that great. And then, you know, it took Kerber exposing that. Yeah, and Daria Gavrilova could expose that as well, couldn't you? You want to put your running shoes on to face mm-hmm. Daria Gavrilova. That's who she's got in the first round. Um it's time for admin admin based tennis news Charlie admin yeah court. a double fist pump that's what I like to see <laughs> um, ATP tour finals might be moving it's gone out to tender which it hasn't done um, for I don't think that's happened since it moved to London has it they've just sort of extended the extended the deal it could still stay um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's moving it just means that they will um, be considering other bids uh David seems to have run a pole vault on it. 64% of people said they wanted it to stay in London, but there is going to be a heavy British bias. I mean, what a pointless pole vault. can't believe I just read that out. Um, I was thinking on my feet, and I I regret that. Um, But, uh, yeah, so they applications have to be submitted before the 2nd of uh, November. Final decision uh, not coming before March 2019. It sounds to me like it's a decision rather than a vote of some kind. It doesn't, within sort of the 80 P um, doesn't sound like a democratic process. It's just as it's just a it's just a decision. I think. Yeah, and it it is a curious one because London does do a really great job. Um, it has done for some time, but there is a tradition with this competition that it does move around. Um, so I think it's inevitable that there is a creeping sense that is it time. And it's interesting as well that Djokovic and Nadal are among those who would be up for it moving. I mean, Nadal has said, you know, why does it always have to be on an indoor hardcore? I wonder if anywhere in South America will... Uh, that's something I've seen a lot on um, on Twitter, calls for it to be in South America where it would be um, summer over there at that time of year. You could potentially play it on clay, finally reward Nadal yeah. for his years of slugging away on indoor hardcourts at that time of year. But the problem is, and we'll come on to this as well with, with the Davis Cup proposals, is that... You've given away more, yeah, more of yeah. our admin base. People are on the edge of their seats <laughs> waiting to hear what the next bit of admin-based tennis news is. Just trailing that, you know, part B of admin corner. But, you know, you, I think naively as a fan, you hope, oh, great, it could be moved to a hotbed of tennis where passionate fans who don't have a tournament can get to see it. Is that what's going to happen? Or would it be a, a country or a region that has a huge amount of money, 
will host it somewhere like Abu Dhabi, who I'm sure has a tennis following, but you know, it doesn't have a huge pedigree in the sport. Which is precisely what happened on the WTA Tour. And look, the, the finals might end up being brilliant, but for a long time we all thought it would go to Prague. They were one of the bidders. It seemed like such an obvious choice. They have, they are sort of reigning supreme Fed Cup-wise. They always get incredible crowds. They have, they always have at least one, usually two or three players that qualify for the finals. And in the end, it went to China, who just had the cash. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it feels risky. And they're, they're, they're just going to have to weigh that up, aren't they? It probably, almost certainly is going to be cash versus other interests. It does tend to be, that, you know, the, the world of sporting administration. Slash life. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, with Qatar hosting the World Cup, uh, etc. And speaking of which, cash versus <laughs> other things, uh, the AGM, the Davis Cup AGM, or the, is it the ITF AGM? Well, I think it's the ITF yeah. AGM, yeah. It's being held in Toronto, is Toronto, in Orlando this week. That's that's a nice week for them, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Good theme parks there. The, the vote, oh, yeah, oh, don't, don't, I could do a whole podcast on my favourite theme parks <laughs> in the world. Kings Island would probably be top by the way um it, it really is it is great highly recommend the uh it's well worth the money to pay for the vip pass to skip the queues especially if you're short on time and have a tennis final to cover again, uh, mid-afternoon yeah money talking loud and clear yet again the world of theme parks um so the vote will take place on the proposed changes to the davis cup this week um the itf have released fuller details of their proposals the creation of an annual season ending davis cup finals in europe uh, creation of a new 24-team home and away qualifying event played in February. The winning nation is going through to the final. Uh, season-ending finals will feature 18 teams. 12 of these teams will be qualifiers from the February event. Four of them will be the semi-finalists from the previous year. Two of them will be wild cards, which is interesting. Um, I mean, what wild card nations? Could you have like Bhutan <laughs> and uh, Papua New Guinea? Or like the Vatican City. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, the last ones you get in Sporkle. Yeah, the, the Pope, the the Pope playing doubles. Um, best of three set tiebreak, uh, best of three tiebreak sets for all matches at all levels of the competition, uh, and ties contested at the finals will consist of two singles matches and one doubles, as as has been uh, always the case. Uh, so much reaction to these proposals. Proposals. There are some federations who are so vehemently opposed to this and are not afraid to publicize those views there is so there's so much politicking going on isn't there in such a public forum yeah i mean we've got the grand slam nations who have a bigger weighted votes electoral college system and australia are dead against it we've heard you know david and i spoke to Leighton hewitt and he was very much echoing that view but then australia are also partnering with atp to potentially do their they could do their world cup i mean there is what this brings home is that there, there is an amazing tournament to be done there, clearly, you know, one that combines the women's events, the men's events. If all the warring factions could get together, there could be an amazing event. That's the thing, isn't it? There are so many proposals happening just at the moment, and yet none of them seems like the supreme proposal that feels so logical to, to you and I and tennis fans everywhere. Because they won't work together, and they're all, you know, they have their own agendas, um, they want to put themselves forward. This is the byzantine way that the tennis world operates and, and this is a reflection of all of that we see we'll see this week how messed up tennis is uh, from a governing perspective that is something to look forward to isn't it <laughs> yeah it's all going to play out before our very eyes the messed upness of tennis um larry ellison's got involved the owner of indian wells who has a lot of cash yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. he and his cash have uh, steamed in and backed the proposals and also um, backed financially in saying that Indian Wells could stage the event um, which uh, a lot of people have pointed to as maybe a, a, a first um, land grab by Larry Ellison who has designs on making Indian Wells a, an official fifth mm. Grand Slam Yeah, I mean and there's that that this would obviously boost its profile massively um so many questions i mean I, I do think in theory the idea of a world cup tennis is a good idea and if you were retrofitting it you wouldn't have i don't think the current 
situation because it's so uh, as in the Davis Cup because it's it is quite a hard thing to explain on a you know so how does it how does it work it's 16 teams and they play at home and away let alone the Fed Cup yeah (laughs) yeah don't get me started on the Fed Cup but you know these are not accessible formats I think to your average fan so having some sort of World Cup where and, and, and having a festival of tennis and a tennis mad nation would be a brilliant thing but as I said it's whether it would it would work out like that. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it would be at a tennis mad nation. Given the feverish level um, of speaking out on the topic, it, it seems to me like this vote is going to go down to the wire. Um, yeah, it feels like we could be talking. It's like sort of House of Cards, but mm. for tennis. Um, yeah, somebody make a fly on the wall documentary mm-hmm. about that AGM in Orlando. Quick. Um, last bit of admin-based tennis news, Charlie. Uh, item number three. This is really niche. So tune out now <laughs> if you're only a casual tennis fan that isn't interested interested in the inner workings of um, the Tennis Integrity Unit. But Peng Shui, uh, the Chinese player, has been banned for six months and fined $10,000 by the Tennis Integrity Unit for attempting to force her doubles partner to withdraw from Wimbledon. It is said that she used coercion and offered the, pos- offered the possibility of a financial reward to convince her doubles partner, who was Alison Van Oitvank, to pull out of Wimbledon in 2017 after the signing sign and deadline so she could swap pastors. I mean, partners. That is a huge burn for Alison Van Oitvank. Yeah. <laughs> I so desperately don't want you to be my partner that I'm willing to, um, yeah, bribe you in order to uh, quietly go away. I believe it was Van Oitvank that that reported uh, the incident and she's uh, posted her a message on Twitter explaining what happened. Her former coach, Alan DeVos, uh, and me were stalked day and night by Peng Shui, who wanted me to withdraw from the double. She wanted to play with Sanya Mirza after the deadline had already passed. My former coach went to the integrity, you know, it was her coach that went, and they investigated the case with the utmost discretion which is obviously the case given we're hearing about it a year later uh, based on the evidence it was the commission's decision to suspend her since I was a little girl tennis has been everything for me therefore I want to support the sport stay clean uh, in all ways um, Peng Shui says uh, she won't retire she'll discuss and solve whether to appeal or not with her lawyer uh, and thanks for everyone's um concern and she she uh, denies that she used any ways to force her partner to drop out of a match um yeah it, it's 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 some people are really interested in this story it's, it's a weird one isn't it all i would say is six months is longer than a lot a lot of bans for drugs-based offences we see in the sport. Now, some people might see this as a more um, egregious violation of the integrity of sport than a doping violation. I personally wouldn't. Yeah, and just on the House of Cards theme, this this feels like a sort of B-plot that would be running <laughs> alongside it. Um, I think it's a really interesting story. Um, very odd behaviour. But is it something that's going on all the time? And just yeah, we yeah. don't know how. Is this a complete one-off? Is it something that's happening all the time and not being reported? Are there sort of envelopes going under tables? Yeah, the murky world of, of kind of doubles pairings, uh, which has been compared to Tinder, and you know, it's kind of this. Yeah, someone's someone's developing an app for yeah, it as yeah, we speak. So, I'm sure. But I, but on the dr- I mean, clearly. You know, <laughs> doping in sport, if you're going to make the comparison, is something that people feel very passionately about and want tennis authorities to be stronger on. I don't think many people feel really passionately about the issue of, you know, players pestering each other after. And that's not to sort of trivialise it. I'm sure for Alison Van Oitvank, um, you know, it was a pretty nasty experience. Um, but for there to be a big ban, that does suggest, you know, is that setting an example? Is it something that happens a lot? If it's not and it's just a one-off case, then it does seem like a slightly strange ban. Yeah, it's it's a strange bit of news to end on, but end on it we will. (laughs) And we will uh, look forward to... Well, not. I mean, it's happening. Cincinnati is happening, I think, as we speak. Uh, We'll be back next week. Charlie, Charlie, has it more admin-based tennis news? No, well, sort of admin, but I I was thinking this overlap between two Masters events, it, it kind of feels like a bit of an overload. And I wonder... And with Nadal quit you know not playing this week and with us saying that Hallett probably should it does feel like a bit of a shame and I wonder if there's I know the tennis calendars bags of room in the tennis calendar Charlie they're always talking about that but could they swap it maybe could they swap uh, Rogers Cup with Washington maybe and then you know have a bit of space that way Uh, clearly there'll be myriad reasons why that logistically wouldn't work but it just seems a bit of a shame that 
the winner of the Rogers Cup almost by default you think probably shouldn't or won't play Cincinnati yeah again if we were retrofitting how tennis should work and the tennis tour and the calendar and everything there is absolutely no way we'd make it look like this would we Um, but look like this it does we we love it for all its faults Uh, and we've been the tennis podcast which I think has worked marvellously without David Law stay in Croatia as long as you like David Uh, top up that tan uh, enjoy the sunshine and uh, yeah we'll see you in New York we've been the tennis podcast brought to you in association with the Telegraph from the Telegraph uh, Telegraph Towers in London that's not their official name Um, and uh, yeah brought to you in association with the Telegraph with Prime Video Amazon Prime Video UK the home of the US Open in the UK the home of the Labour Cup as well uh, which is uh, just after the US Open in Chicago and uh, with our executive producers Triple S Melanie Bowes and TennisBalls.com and we will be back next week 